Welcome to Mama Hearts. We are a nonprofit with a goal to encourage and empower families with children who have neurodevelopmental or medical differences by creating kinship connections that bring hope, courage, and strength. We do this because we believe these kinship connections generated through our shared experiences, like these podcasts, not only encourage and empower families, but also create a more compassionate, self confident, and kinder parenting experience that transforms families and communities. Enjoy our podcast. Yay, I'm so glad you are joining us today for this Mama Hearts episode. I have one of my favorite people. She's just incredible, Diana Naylor, and she is has been given so much energy and support to Mama Hearts. Um, so her passion and her heart is there, and she's incredibly skilled. Um, Diana is a special educator. She's been doing that for 12 years, specializing in neurologically diverse populations. And she's been married to someone who has ADHD for 10 years as someone who experiences the impacts of ADHD. Diana, that is Awesome. You and my husband both get medals. Um, so we are just so excited to have you, Diana. And and I had the benefit of attending one of your seminars to learn more about ADHD and just all that goes along with it. And so that's really kind of when we connected and you agreed to put energy into Mama Hearts because you know the journey personally and professionally. You know this journey. You have passion with this journey and you know how important it is for those of us to experience these things, to connect on this heart level with our shared experiences. So we are so excited and blessed to have you and I just am so happy. So Welcome, Diana. Tell us what you're going to tell us today about ADHD. Thank you so very much for that wonderful interview, Uh, for that wonderful introduction, let's say. The interview is not over yet, is it? Right, it's not over yet. That's just, you're stuck. You cannot leave. That is just an introduction. So today I wanted to kind of extend a little bit on um, the seminar that you got to attend with me, talking about some of the lesser known um, symptoms of ADHD. Um, So now we're moving into a world of high tech and all this wonderful stuff. We're now meeting with people on Zoom, no longer face-to-face. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing a lot more when we're looking at um, ADHD. Back in the day, we um, just filled out a form that rated behaviors and um, thought patterns and things like that. And you kind of got an idea of something. Now we're moving into the age of, you know, looking at brain scans and things like that. What I would like to talk about, though, beyond the brain scans are some of the symptoms that we see that we're starting to see across the spectrum. So just from 
from the mild ADHD to the more severe ADHD, we are seeing um, more symptoms such as rejection sensitivity, time blindness, and things like that. Mm. Um, we've always seen um, difficulties with social and relationship issues, yes. but we're going to talk a little bit more about how some of these lesser known symptoms can feed into those difficulties. Awesome. I actually didn't know about that, so I'm super thrilled that you're going to be talking about those three things. So we're talking about, remind me again, we're talking about time blindness, time blindness. Okay. Rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria. Great. And we're talking about how those things relate to social and relationship issues. Awesome. So just for our listeners, I want you to know, Diane is going to give the expert in the field um, feedback. And then as a mom of two neurodevelopmentally different children raising them, uh, and someone who also personally experiences ADHD, I'm going to be sharing a side, um, kind of a personal side. And we'd love for you guys to think about how this has happened in your life. If you have ADHD, if you have it personally, if your children have it, or someone that you love has it, uh, it's important to know about these things, especially if you're helping with childcare with these children. So you understand that makes a big, big difference in a family unit and a community unit, which is what we're about at Mama Hearts, right? Bringing hope, courage, and strength that leads to empowerment. So I'm so excited, uh, Diana. Thank you for that reminder of what we're going to be covering. You're welcome. So we'll we'll jump right into the time blindness. So this is one thing that we have seen quite a bit with ADHD, but we hadn't seen it um, quite with this descriptor. So generally, we talk about individuals with ADHD getting lost in what they're doing, lost in their thoughts, um, just lacking the focus to... Um, really pay attention to what's happening around them. So they miss out on some of those cues where, okay, the class is getting up and leaving now, or, you know, everyone's finishing their lunch, but you're still busy talking. So we've seen it before, but we haven't seen it in the respect of time blindness. So it's kind of like a, a varying degree. So Actually, most neurotypical individuals experience a time of time blindness. Um, if we think about um, drinking alcohol, there's times where you feel like, oh, the time just flies. And um, other times when we're maybe not in school or not in work and we're like, oh, it's Tuesday already. Oh, my goodness. So right. We've all kind of experienced time blindness, but this is more of a continual sort of thing. It's not just situational. So it's not going to be just in the times where we're having too much fun or just in a time where we're relaxing too much and not paying attention to the world around us. This is more of an overarching, more longer lasting sort of situation. So with time blindness, what we see is that there is kind of a lack of the understanding of the feeling of time moving. So it's not necessarily not paying attention to the time, but not actually feeling it. So if you think about... Um, if you think about, uh, and I say this as I'm talking to someone who does have ADHD. Right. But, <laughs> um, I was like, okay, <laughs> time blindness. Well, I do know that it's really, really hard for me to stay on track, but I actually get, um, 
I, I do get what you're saying. It's not a continual event. It's not situational like, oh, my gosh, I'm having so much fun and time just right. flies. And, and in fact, I, I think about, you know, somebody always trying to put 10 pounds in a five pound bag. I joke about that. It actually, mm-hmm. you know, drives my husband crazy because um, right. I continually and it, it's a continual thing, even though I do everything I can. But that's an adult perspective. And I'm thinking about things for my children. But well, I like you that th- you're saying that, that it's not situational and it's an overarching kind of thing that you have to deal with with ADHD. Right. So it's, it's exactly what you're saying that, you know, as you grow up to be an adult with ADHD, you are thinking about, okay, so here's my day. These are the things that I have to do, not realizing that it's impossible Mm -hmm. time-wise. Looking at it from that perspective as the adult, that's what it is. From the child's perspective, (laughs) there's definitely not enough time to play all the things that they want to play. So um, it is a matter of Um, what we see in the classroom is more of, okay, I'm going to get started once I finish sharpening my pencil. And then you're sharpening your pencil and sharpening your pencil (laughs) for quite some time. And you're like, oh yeah, I'll have plenty of time to do this. And then ding, 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 it's time to go. So it's, it's that lack of the feeling of time and time passing is really what it comes down to. And then just not having that understanding of what fits in to your bag for that day. Right. Do I have enough room in my bag to do all of these things? This is brilliant, so- Diana. <laughs> this is brilliant. This, this you solves didn't know a there lot. was a name for it. <laughs> I didn't know there was a name for it. And I totally have that. It's so great. But I mean, I'm thinking about too, when as a mother of children, right? And, and then working on, there was so much we had to do with behavioral management that I had to learn as a parent. Um, and I've shared this in, in some of the other podcasts, but I... That's a beautiful thing to hear about what it's called, which is time blindness. That's awesome. Just to know that there is a name for it. Yeah, it, it's not just about not having the focus. And I'm sure a lot of people, especially like you, you have that razor sharp focus when it comes to the things that you need to do. It's just not understanding that you can't do all of those things in the amount of time that you have. Yes. So not understanding the the flexibility of what you're doing, how much time it should take to do something. Yeah. Um, Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. In your experience um, working with younger children and what, can you give an example of what that might look like in the classroom with kids that you're working with Uh, for our parents that are listening that have kids in elementary school or even in junior high? um, What does that, because I know like, for example, when my kids were little, I used I mean, it was just so hard for them. God bless them, right? To come home after school. Uh, They did have medication. That was a choice that that we chose. That's an individual choice. I don't speak pro or against medication. I think it's an individual choice. And um, so in the afternoons, there was not that added benefit helping them stay focused. So we used one of those clocks that has, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it, it has 
literally you move the clock around to 30 minutes or 45 minutes and it's got this red space that disappears. So the kid, so the kids could see that, okay, I've only got this much time left. I'll have to look it up, but it's a particular kind of clock. You probably know exactly what it is. (laughs) I do. Okay. (laughs) I've got like five of them. Um, It's an elapsed timer. (laughs) Thank you. Of course, you know exactly what it is and you've got the name. Of course you do. Yes. So we, I had to use that with the kids. Is that an example of this time blindness? Yeah, essentially it is. It's taking a look at, okay, how much time do I have to dedicate to this activity? And do I have the time to do some of the other things that I still feel is important, but this is the task at hand. So a lot of what we do to support children in this particular situation is, yes, we use timers to start getting um, acquainted with how much time or what time feels like. Okay. Mm. So what does five minute feel, five minutes Ooh, feel like? And then awesome. looking at, okay, so now what were we able to do within that five minutes? Okay. So now it's, it's about building the understanding of that time flow. Oh, I love so, that. So it's, it's, a, it's about helping them understand what, I love what you said. What does time feel like? That's mm-hmm. awesome. So really get, that's beautiful. Getting them to understand that five minutes. Oh, I love it. Right. I love it. Because really when we're, a lot of times what we do is we focus on the executive functioning piece, right? In yes. school. Yes. We talk about, okay, so how do we chunk this? How do we help ourselves to make this into more manageable pieces? But that's not effective if you have no feeling of time. If you, if you can't say, okay, five minutes feels like this. Okay. I can do this in five minutes. You, you won't be able to chunk your your assignments or your projects or anything like that if you're not able to understand how time actually feels, what you can put into that amount of time. Yeah. So this this dealing with the time blindness is probably the most immediate part mm. um, that needs to be needs to be uh, worked on because it's the one that drives the rest of the executive functioning. That is. Fantastic. And you know, as a mother, it's so, I mean, so many pieces are coming together as you're talking, but as a mother raising kids who, who experience the impacts of this ADHD, one of which time blindness being one of which, you know, the impacts of that. And I can remember trying to get things done and trying to get things done. And so I'm not even taking into consideration my own time blindness as a parent that has ADHD, but as a mother working with them, I, you know, you just feel like a a failure, right? There's this overwhelming, constant, repetitive of failing because you're not getting it done. And And I I think, in fact, can you speak, and I know you've got two other points that we want to talk about today, but like, can you speak to, does it just develop over time with young children as we start to help them experience what does time feel like? Does this just continue to develop in them as they grow? Is that kind of the goal for us parents so that we can feel more successes? So 
so yeah, that's what I would I would recommend is is if you're realizing if you're noticing a bit of time blindness, um, it, it's in everyone, and in the neurotypical population, we we find that we actually pick that up a lot from our um, environment, a, a lot from being in school and just being very self aware um, in those situations. Time blindness is not something that people really say, oh, yeah, I feel like time escapes me like all the time. Um, It does when you don't get things done. um, But with kids, it's more of, oh, I just ran out of time. I don't know what happened. You know, I'm sure you heard that a lot. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. An hour. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, it's the same thing. If you think about like um, having your kids get ready to go out and you say, okay, guys, run downstairs, put on your shoes and be ready in like five minutes. Right. And, right. you know, then you find them in front of the TV because. Yes. Yes. Uh, that happens all the time. And one being, shoe on, one shoe off, you know, right. sometimes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I know one big thing for the behavioral training that we had was that um, I had to go up and give them that. Okay. In five minutes, you know, this is our last game in five minutes, you know, we're going to be doing that. And mm-hmm. yeah, so this is really, it sounds simple. It may be simple, but it is not easy. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing that this is a neurological difference. So right. if it, you know, it may sound simple and it may seem simple to someone else, but when you're working with a, a neurological difference, it's not working the same way. So it's not as simple. So, yes. you know, don't take it as, um, definitely don't take it as um, your child just not, just willfully not doing what you're asking them. Oh my goodness. Are, say that again. You got to say that again. That's like the million dollar. Okay, say it again. <laughs> don't take it as your child willfully choosing not to do something. It always feels like that, though. It always feels like that. (laughs) I know. I know it does. Because you think, you know, and and the rest of us, we do think. We're like, oh, but it's so simple. I just told you to put on your shoes. Right. How hard is it to put on your shoes? Well, when you're not aware of time or time passing and mom comes down and says, hey, why are your shoes not on? you as the child you're sitting there thinking but ma you just asked me to put them on I got one on now I got to put on the other so they're not they're not actually realizing that that much time has passed for some of us watching our watches we know that 20 minutes has passed and they only have one shoe on but for them it's only a moment, you know, it's a small moment and they don't realize that that's how much time has actually passed. So. That is awesome. Thank you for that. Okay. Time blindness. That is good. I love these things that we're talking about. So number one, time blindness. Got it. And number right. two is our rejection sensitivity. Yes, rejection Ooh, sensitivity. So rejection <laughs> sensitive dysphoria, RSD, is actually something that's coming around. Um, it's not yet um, added into the DSM as a, qualifi- a qualifier for ADHD. Okay. But it is something that, that re- researchers have found to be prevalent in all individuals with ADHD Good. at some point. 
level. Okay. okay? So as, as with everything, there's always a spectrum. So it may be a slight or it may be a severe, um, but rejection sensitivity comes down to a feeling. Sometimes it's a, a, a physical feeling of pain, but it's a feeling that comes from um, a perceived rejection from people that you trust and love and admire or um, being uh, corrected by these same people. So it comes down to um, feeling as if, you know, you did something wrong and right. it feels so, so deep. Um, like I you personally, are wrong. Yeah. Right? Not just yeah, something like, happened and, you know, but that we're, we're wrong, that yeah. there's something wrong with us. We're being, yes, rejected. Right. So, um, I personally cannot speak to the feeling, um, but my husband, he has talked about, it is like a physical, physical pain. So like it, hurts not just like my heart hurts but my body hurts um because of this so what we tend to see what i tend to see in the classroom with rejection sensitivity is when i'm working with students um particularly in math so math is special a special kind of difficulty for um individuals with ADHD because there is a need for organization. Um, so if you're not organized when you're doing math, you have a tendency to make small mistakes um, in calculations because the numbers didn't stay in their lane. Right, right, um, right. That ha so, is a common thing. Yeah. With ADHD. Um, yeah, because it's the organization piece that that gets jumbled up. So um what I tend to see is that when I make suggestions for corrections, so for a neuro neurotypical child, I'll say, hey, look, do you see how your place values are not lined up right here? This is where you had a little bit of trouble adding up the numbers. I can see that you added these two numbers instead of the ones that you were supposed to. So how about we go back and fix it? Let's see if we can get a different answer. For a neurotypical child, that's okay. You know, you, I'm giving feedback. I'm telling them what they need to do. I'm not outright saying that, you know, you're wrong, you're terrible or anything like that. Right. All I'm saying right. is, can we go back and check and try to do this again? With an individual who experiences difficulties with rejection sensitivity, it comes across as you're dumb, you're stupid, you know, how could you not do this right? What right. happened here? It comes right. across way harsher than um, intended by the person that um, provides the feedback. So feedback can be really difficult um, for an individual with rejection sensitivity. Um, now, like I said, it's a varying degree. So it may be something as small as, um, you know, I, I have to redo this podcast because it doesn't <laughs> sound exactly right and people are going to hate it. I wonder who would uh, say anything like that. <laughs> Friends, who would say anything like that? <laughs> um, 
or it comes down to, you know, yours truly, by the way, we just had a big conversation (laughs) about that. So if you're listening and wondering why we're laughing is because yours truly that also has ADHD as an adult, 53 year old adult, um, also is like, no, this doesn't sound right. It just doesn't sound right. So I love that. Uh, and I can see right through not only my life, but my kids' lives, what we dealt with, like as simple as um, playing any kind of sports or being in the classroom. And especially with my feedback, uh, even when they were in adolescence, I always shared that the best parenting advice was duct tape for me because (laughs) really, I'm not kidding. Like I was like, I need to patent that and figure out some parent duct tape because the, anything I said, it was really, it just didn't, yes, all of that. Exactly. It, it would turn into, you know, a fight or taken the wrong way. And I, I mean, I'm, it's interesting to me. I love how we're talking about child perspectives and adult perspectives mm-hmm. because I can see this starting very, very young when mm-hmm. my kids were really young and first diagnosed leading all the way up. And then myself being diagnosed and, and then looking back in my experience of life as well. Um, and, and being able to have, you know, I've heard some people say, Oh, I don't want somebody to be labeled. I don't want them to be labeled. And this is my experience with that. When you are in public school, if you don't have a label, it's very hard to get services. That was my experience. And the reason we talk about neurodevelopmental differences is that we love it that there's differences in the world. We don't want everybody to be the same. It doesn't mean anyone is less than or anyone is better than anybody else. It's different, but different is what makes the world go around and what makes the world wonderful. I mean, Einstein was ADHD, right? You probably know there's like all these famous people that think outside the box. If we don't have these thinkers that are outside the box, then you know, we don't have this beautiful world that we live in. And so I really am just drinking in and my heart is being encouraged and empowered by having the understanding that this brings, the understanding of time blindness, the understanding of rejection, sensitivity, dysphoria makes so much sense. So good. I just had to throw that in there. Well, I, I, I would also add to that, um, We need to be at a place in this world where we're looking at neurological diversity as the same as racial and ethnic diversity. Amen. We're now now at a point where racial and ethnic diversity is coming to be more of, you know, a general thing. I mean, there's, there's different things happening in the world right now that leads us to believe otherwise, but, um, we are seeing that, you know, the days of past where there was racial separation, race, racial segregation, um, we need to be at a place where we can move beyond the neurological separation, the neurological segregation as well. So yeah. I, I... No, I love that you I said can, that. I can, I can handle um, when someone says... Uh, we don't want to label. I get that. Yes. But 
the label offers understanding. Amen. Um, it's not yes. it's not pigeonholing. It's it's actually offering understanding, especially within the education setting. It gives us a little more understanding of the individual when we wouldn't otherwise. So um, I, though I, you know, can sympathize with families. Um, I also see it from the perspective of an educator and I, I see it as, well, this label just tells me what I should look for, how I can help yeah. uh, as opposed to, oh, then I don't want to pay attention to you. That's not, that's not how it works for us. Um, right. It does in some cases, I will say I'm not, I'm not totally ignorant of the whole situation. I know that labels can be very difficult. If a person writes down on a piece of paper, I'm autistic, you know, there's already um, preconceived notions popping into mind for someone else. For me yes. as an educator who works with individuals um, who have autism, um, I see it as something different. I see it as, okay, well, I've, I've just jumped to the front of the line. Now I can get a better handle of what I'm going to encounter if I encounter something. Yes. Um, I want to so, add two things to that because it's so beautiful what you said. One, you know, our understanding and I, and I've spoken about this with friends that, and it's so important what we're going through as a, a country in a world right now with racial and ethnic diversity being a priority and the understanding comes, I believe this is just my personal opinion, friends, just my opinion. I believe it comes in our ability to communicate mm-hmm. and our ability to share our stories, which is why we even do mama heart so that we can have that heart connection that I believe transcends things, um, and pain, right? So being able to communicate comes from language, right? We have to have the language. And so having, so that was number one, having this language and these labels lead to more communication. And I love what you said. It doesn't pigeonhole it. Um, it leads to understanding. And that's a good thing for us to remember. The second part about that though, what I want to say is not everybody is safe to share that with. And I love Brene Brown. I just think she's awesome. And she talks about vulnerability, which is key and vital, right? To living Mm -hmm. this life that is amazing that we want to live, especially parents that are on this journey. Um, But she also says something really important. Not everybody needs, not everybody has earned the right to hear your vulnerabilities or, and that's important too. We have to remember as a parent that not everybody needs to know everything that we experience with our kids because we need to protect our kids. Mm -hmm. But when you come across those safe friends, those heart friends that we call them, those are the ones that you can call up and say, okay, look, this time sensitivity and, 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 and emotion, um, time blindness and rejection sensitivity. It's really hard today. Mm-hmm. it's really hard. My kid came home. They didn't have anybody to sit with at the lunch table, which I'm sorry, Diana, that one kills me every time. It's so, I mean, junior high, right? When we go from, we're talking about that next. <laughs> oh, we are. Okay. All right. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Last point of the day, last point of our podcast, I should say. 
So the last point is, how does this all feed into <laughs> the landmark social and relationship difficulties that yes. are experienced by individuals with ADHD? So... Obviously, time blindness has a huge impact on our friendships and our partnerships because there are points in time where the other person feels disrespected. Does that make sense? Uh, totally. So when, when you set your when you set your time goals, when you set plans, and you don't meet them, and you do that continuously, that does begin to strain on a relationship or a friendship. Because it makes uh, a difference when you're not on time for people right. as adults. As adults, it makes a difference when you're not on time. And right. I'll do that texting, communicating. Hey, sorry, I'm running five minutes late. Things like that. But it makes a difference. Um, and I'm so glad that you identified it as time blindness. But anyway, I just had to throw well, that in. And in, in addition to that, you you know that you're running late. You say, hey, guys, I'm going to be about five minutes late. I'm out the door. And then you text again and saying, I'm finally in the car, but that's 10 minutes later. <laughs> what, how do you know me so well? How do you know me so well? Because it's a thing. It, it's, it's totally a thing. a thing. Yeah, it's totally a thing. Um, but it does impact your social relationships. Absolutely, exactly absolutely. what you're saying. It totally impacts them because we and live for in our a kids society, too, right? Yeah, we live in a society where time is honored. Time shows being on time shows respect for you know other people, and if you're not respecting their time, they don't feel that you're respecting them. Right. So what has to what has to happen? Well, you know, for me, <laughs> in my personal relationship, it is a matter of me being a little bit more flexible because I'm I am a terribly rigid <laughs> person when it comes to time. Okay. I am I am a chronic on on time or early person. Okay. Um I start to I start to panic when I am two minutes early. As you sound like to my five. husband. You totally sound like him. <laughs> I will see that's be how early and on time everywhere. This, and is, this is how these relationship works. Right, right. Because, you know, track, right. Right. And so um, with my husband, um, what I'll do is I'll prep time. So I'll say, okay, hey, you know, we need to be here at this time. So start getting ready at this time. So kind of organizing in a way with flexibility. Yeah, <laughs> if that that's makes great. Sense. That's great. Um, I, I even remember like friends in high school where I would say, okay, I'm going to tell my friend this person, I'm going to tell her that we're meeting at three so that she can get there by five. Right. So I I even remember doing this in high school with some of my friends, just knowing that, you know, this particular friend is chronically late, like jumping in the shower when, when she's supposed to be there. So, um, so yeah, instead of getting mad and instead of like being upset about it, what I would do is I would be more flexible with my time and with my scheduling with others. Yeah. So um, even if I looked at, okay, she says that she wants to meet me for lunch at noon. Okay. I'll kind of hang out a little bit and get there 
a little later if I have to. So, well, and I, I, you know, I, I feel like you're speaking my life, and it's so true. And we see this in many people, and not everybody has ADHD. Some people do have difficulty with executive functioning and time management. Right. Um, it's different when we're dealing with kiddos with ADHD. And on this particular point of social and relationship difficulties, and what I brought up with, um, you know, kids not having someone to sit with in the lunchroom, which is just painful across the board as parents. And it, there's a big jump from elementary to junior high, a big oh, yeah. jump. There's a big jump in third grade too, right? These developmental milestones just in, in aging. Um, but I, I want to speak a little bit or have you speak a little bit. And I know we're you know, we're rounding up our, our podcast time here because those, those of you that don't know, Diana is in Brazil and she teaches and she's squeezing us in today. We love you so much, Diana. Thank you for that. Um, but the relationship and the social rejection and just speaking to, you know, the kids experiencing the rejection at school for whatever reason, right. But particularly with neurodevelopmental differences. And then those of us that are parents that are working so hard to put all the pieces together, I guess I just want to say, um, you know, it both, both happen, right. There's Mm -hmm. this impact on social relationship and social difficulties, because as you're raising your kids and they experience these rejections and have rejection sensitivity or do things with, with time blindness due to ADHD, I do think there's more understanding today than there has been in the past because Mm -hmm. we have more labels and more understanding. Thank you. Functional MRIs. Um, (laughs) But it, it's not just, it doesn't just impact the social relationships for the kids. It also impacts it for the parents. I can remember telling a really good friend, don't say anything about my family. And I was just upset one day. I go, please don't say anything about my family to, to those other people and, or to those, you know, those other moms, please just don't say that. And what it was is, you know, there were these kids that were doing this and doing that. And I, I had fallen into this trap of comparison and I felt rejected right? Mm -hmm. Because my kid couldn't be at this school or they couldn't, you know, be at that, or they didn't really understand why my kid did that at a sleepover or a play date, or they didn't have the behavioral tools to Mm -hmm. manage that. And I was letting them have a sleepover or whatever. And, you know, so the, the social relationship difficulties occur on both sides. I mean, you are amazing and you understand it and you get it. Um, but it's real hard. I mean, it's hard. It really is heartbreaking in many experiences. Um, I, you know, the divorce rate for children who have neurodevelopmental differences is high. Why? Uh There's a lot of added pressure. There's a lot of added stress. Um, So I just wanted to throw that in there about the social and relationship difficulties. You know, the kid comes home. I didn't have anybody, you know, I didn't sit with anybody at lunch or, you know, this happened and they're describing an event and they've got rejection sensitivity dysphoria. So they're describing an event that is their experience of it while the neurotypical kids, it was a totally different experience for them. And then the parent is like, oh, you know, then they have a reaction to it. So being able to connect, being able to share, being able to encourage, being able to empower, to have courage, to have hope, 
And some people call it grit. Some people call it resiliency. All of that is really good. But I don't think we can underestimate the power and the need for that connection. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. And and even not... Even moving away from the parents needing the connections, the children need the connection as well because they yes. are human beings, social creatures, just like everyone else. Yes. And, you know, it is um, the the rejection sensitivity does play a huge role in that as well because, you know, it is perceived if if the one friend wants to sit with another friend today in conjunction with the child, that also comes across as rejection. Mm-hmm. So that becomes something bigger and there's this huge misunderstanding. So a lot of a lot of the social relationship issues come down to misunderstanding by the other party and <laughs> by the individual themselves. They yes. misunderstood the situation. But on top of it, the other person misunderstood the reaction that they had. And so there's, like you said, you know, being able to talk to one another does make a huge difference. But that's, that's also leaving that up to, you know, teens and children. Right. And so that don't have this, don't necessarily right. have the skills. And then as parents, if you don't have some of those skills, like being able to sit in the uncomfortableness and not fix it. Right. Right. Because there you is know, no fixing it. This right. is going to happen in life. Right. And we have to be able to sit with our feelings and love our children and say, thank you so much for sharing. You know, that sounds scary. Those emotion. I know you have one of those emotion charts with the emoji faces and different things. I think that's one of the most empowering and powerful things for us to have as for our children so they can identify the emotions they're experiencing. Right. And, and that's why, um, that's why medication is no longer just in the forefront of dealing with ADHD. We know that, you know, therapy is important as well. Counseling is important as well because all the medication does is calms down the brain just a bit so that you can learn those skills. The pills don't give you skills. Pills don't give you skills. Right. All it does is it calms things down a little bit. But you still need the skills, whether or not, because, you know, that's not something that you want to do for the rest of your life is to take medication. I know I have asthma and I've had had asthma for my whole entire life. I would love a day where I didn't have to take medication. But totally different sort of situation. Yes. <laughs> right. The, the thing is, is with ADHD, you can learn a lot of the skills. Like, so we right. talked about before, over time, we can overcome time blindness by learning the way it feels. So same thing with a lot of the executive functioning skills, the social skills, things like that. We can learn it, but we have to have the optimal condition to do it. So again, I'm also not for or against medication that is a personal choice, but I will say the counseling piece is the key, regardless of whether or not you have medication. Right. You have to have both and finding something anything your kid can win at whatever it is doesn't matter what it is find something that your kid wins at 
that they feel right. good about. Um, exactly. And, and so we're, we're looking at um, these relationship issues, these relationship difficulties brought on by these symptoms. And so what we have to look at is how we can help the world to be a little more aware of what's going on. Yes. But in addition to that, how we can help the individual to be more aware of what didn't go right. So in those social situations, even if it was that, you know, I felt that I was being rejected because that person didn't want to sit with just me, instead of saying, instead of giving the answer, you're working through it. Counseling works that way. It's not about giving the answer to the individual. It's about working through what happened, what went wrong, how can it go better the next time? And that's the thing is always remembering. And I tell my kids every single day, tomorrow is another day. So today may have been tough. Today may have been tough. Today may not have gone the way we wanted it to, but tomorrow is another day. And we yes. don't have to live. We don't have to live today over again. We can move on to tomorrow. So that is a perfect, you know? perfect way to bring it all together, right? <laughs> tomorrow is another day, and we've got this. And I'm big yeah. on encouragement, and and so I love that tomorrow is another day. And it works day. for the individual. It works for the families. <laughs> tomorrow is tomorrow another tomorrow day. Tomorrow is another day, and you are awesome. I love it. And Diana, you are. Awesome. And I have loved this time together. And I know we're coming to the end of our time. I know you've got to go get back to class. I so love being with you and connecting with you. I wish I connected with you when my kids were three years old. I love your passion. I love your heart. I'm just so, so thankful for you. And we are thankful for all of you guys listening to our podcast. Share this with your friends. Encourage your friends. If you want to share your story, Tell us, go look us up at mamahearts.org, M-O-M-M-A-H-E-A-R-T-S.org. You can find more podcasts with Diana. You can find resources. We have heart connection groups. You can join one of those. That's all free. We have some free resources on the website. Uh, and we just want to continue to encourage everyone, give courage, hope, and strength. Any last, last words from you, Diana? Um, also, I think I am found on the website so they can yes. also yes. message me directly if Absolutely. they have any questions. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely reach out to Diana because you do coaching on the side. Yes, I do. I yeah, do. you're um, awesome. For autism and ADHD. Yes. Oh, we love you. We love you so much. So go find Diana. Diana, give your email right here. Go ahead and do that right now. Uh, so actually, it's uh, Diana, D-I-A-N-N-A, Dimick, D-I-M-I-C-K, at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, so yeah, contact Thank me. You, you got questions. I'm here to help. We love you so much. And we love you, all of the mama hearts out there listening to us. Thank you so much for being with us today. And we can't wait to see you or talk with you or listen and hear from you real soon. Thank you so much for listening to us today. We are Mama Hearts, a nonprofit with the goal to encourage and empower families with children who have neurodevelopmental or medical differences by creating connections like these podcasts that bring hope, courage, and strength. 
We believe these connections generated through shared experiences not only encourage and empower families, but also create a more compassionate, self-confident, and kinder parenting experience that transforms families and communities. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website, mamahearts.org, where we have resources and different ways to connect with us. We would love to hear your story. So if you would like to share it, go to our website and contact us where it says share your story. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to us today. We hope to connect with you again soon.